Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Matthew, chapter 2. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. We all love the Christmas story. I like the Christmas story. It's majestic. Christmas is probably one of the most beautiful days of the year, the holiday season of Christmas. It's wondrous. It's majestic. It's beautiful. Christmas, the story of Jesus, the babe born in Bethlehem. But there's another side of the Christmas story that I think is rarely told. That's what we're going to talk about in Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. Let's talk about this other side of the Christmas story. Saints, if you're there, say amen. And that was a weak amen. If you're there, say amen. amen. Now look at verse 13. When they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise. Take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child. Notice it doesn't say the baby. It says a young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. And was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. That would be Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, saying out of Egypt... I've called my son. Well, then Herod, in verse 16, when he saw that he was tricked, deceived, hoodwinked by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth him to put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem in all of its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from talking to the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah, that would be chapter 31, verse 15 of Jeremiah, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, the lamentation, weeping, great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are dead. They are no more. Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. And then he arose. He took the young child and his mother and came into the land. Did you notice Joseph's simple obedience The angel just shows up and says, and did you notice how many times the scripture says that the angel showed up to Joseph in a dream? Joseph was doing a lot of sleeping in chapter two. 
Did you notice that? Read the chapter. It's right in there. I'm not making this stuff up. Joseph, the angel of the Lord, appeared to Joseph in a dream. Joseph is sleeping. But you know what that also tells me? That also tells me that Joseph is a very sensitive man to the things of the spirit. Very sensitive, keenly sensitive, might I add. And Joseph was a carpenter. Most carpenters are rough and rugged kind of guys, and, and they just do the carpenter thing, and they build things, and they, they're, they're rough. But this Joseph is different. He seems to be, because this Joseph, he's sensitive to the Lord, because the Lord can speak to him in a dream. And Joseph will listen, and Joseph will wake up, And he'll go and do what it is that God has shown him to do. Obedience, the Bible says, saints, is better than sacrifice. Amen. Why don't we just do what God tells us to do? Is that all right? Let's just do like Joseph. He's just obedient. He goes to sleep. The angel speaks. He wakes up and he does what the Holy Spirit through this angel has shown him to do. Well, then he arose, he took the young child, and he came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus, that's the son of Herod, he's just as sick as his dad was, nut guy, just brutal. When he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father, Herod, he was afraid. Joseph is a normal guy. And you hear that this lunatic is reigning in Judea. Joseph was afraid to go there. And being warned by an angel in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and he dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Stop right there. Give me your attention. If you've been with us, you know the message of Matthew is to present Jesus as king. Matthew is a Jew writing to the Jews about the king of the Jews. In chapter 1, we have the heritage of the king, if you're taking notes. We have the heritage of the king. It is Matthew's point to make the point to the reader, the Jew, that Jesus is the rightful heir to the throne of David. He is the son of David. But not only is he the son of David, but he is also a descendant of Abraham, the heritage of the king, a descendant of Abraham. And because of those two things, he has the right to rule and reign as king. In chapter two, we have those wise men who came to pay homage to the king, not only the heritage of the king, but homage to the king, these Gentile wise men who saw a star and God used that star to lead them into the city where the Messiah was there. And they brought him, you know the story, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Why? Because gold is what you give to a king. He's the mighty king. And frankincense is what you give to a priest. Frankincense, you give to a priest. He, Jesus, is our great high priest. And then myrrh. Myrrh is a burial spice, and it speaks of suffering, death, and burial. He's our martyred prophet. So even in the gifts, listen, 
Even in the gifts that the wise men bring, they are declaring, even in the gifts, the threefold office of Jesus Christ. He is prophet, priest, and king. Now, I find it interesting also, and maybe you will too, at his birth, we have these wise men who came from the east, traveling west. They were Gentiles, who at his birth, they came and they asked the question, where is he who is called the king of the Jews? It was a Gentile who acknowledged that he was king at his birth. And at his death, again, it was a Gentile who commanded that they write over him the king of the Jews. They said, no, inscribe, he said he was the king of the Jews. And you know the story, then Pilate said, no, I want you to write what I have written, it stays. He is the king of the Jews. So at his birth and at his death, there were wise men from the east and mighty Romans who both acknowledge that he is the king of the Jews. But don't you find it interesting that it no Jew acknowledged that he was the king of the Jews. And that's what Jesus said. This is what he meant when he said he came unto his own and his own received him not. And that is why Jesus stood on the Mount of Olives, which overlooks Jerusalem, which overlooks the east gate by which he came riding through in on a donkey. He's standing there on the Mount of Olives and he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have desired to gather you as a mother would gather her chick, but you would not. And how he wept because they missed their day of visitation. No Jew Acknowledge him as the king of the Jews. And so he's come to the Gentiles. That would be you. That would be me. And we acknowledge him as the king of the Jews. Not only is he the king of the Jews, but he's our king. Amen, saints? And because he's our king, he has a right to reign over the throne of your heart. Or maybe you're here and, and he's not your king. Don't miss your day of visitation. Today. The Bible says today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart as the manner of some receive him. Don't miss your day of visitation. Acknowledge him as king and receive him as king and Lord of your life. Well, here in the story, in chapters 13 or in chapter 2, verse 13 through 23, Mary and Joseph's flight into Egypt with Jesus Herod's slaughter of infants and toddlers in Bethlehem. This isn't a story that is often preached. You don't hear this text preached very often. Why? I think it's for obvious reason, because it really puts a damper on Christmas. I mean, Christmas is full of joy. Christmas is full of lights. Christmas is full of gifts and gift giving and, and cookies and snacks and, and, and food, folks, and fun and joyous times. And who wants to talk about children being slaughtered in Ramah and in Bethlehem? Whoever wants to talk about that, that's not fun. So you don't hear this text taught very often in terms of the Christmas story. The Christmas story for us is sentimental. There's a sentimental side to the Christmas story. But there's another side of the Christmas story. A side that Matthew couldn't leave out. There's a sentimental side and there's 
the sentimental Christmas that quickly turns to a Christmas of slaughter. The little town of Bethlehem has become a town of Bedlam. The silent night and the holy night has become a night of screaming and a night of terror-filled night of brutal killings of innocent children. As the wise men came from the east, they asked, where is he born, the king of the Jews? And when Herod heard this, you know, if you were with us last week, when Herod heard this, he was troubled. He was troubled. And the Bible says all of Jerusalem was troubled. Why was Jerusalem troubled? Because when Herod's troubled, everyone's troubled. Because Herod is a wicked, wicked and evil and cruel man. Herod is the ultimate megalomaniac. He loves, he's a control freak. He loves power and he loves control. We talked about Herod last week. Herod is an Edomite, not a Jew. And Herod is a descendant of Esau. Now you might remember, Abraham had a son named Isaac. And Isaac married a woman by the name of Rebekah. And Rebekah got pregnant. And she felt this rumbling in her stomach. This turning and this fighting in her stomach. And she said, God, what's up with this? There's a rumbling and a turning and a fighting in my stomach. And it was God who said that there are two nations in your womb. And they are fighting against each other. They're twins, Jacob and Esau. Jacob is the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Esau became the father of the Arab nations. And Jacob and Esau were at war in the womb, and Jacob and Esau are at war even as we speak. And don't you find it interesting, in our text, a son of Esau, Herod, is at war with the son of Jacob, Jesus. Herod, he was a short man, four feet, four inches tall. Now that's short. <laughs> he was a short guy. I told you last week, I got to tell you again, I can't stop thinking about it. If I were doing a movie and casting for the role of Herod, I would have to get Danny DeVito. <laughs> He's perfect. He is perfect. Herod was a short guy with a really big ego. And he liked to build big buildings. He was a master builder. He erected palaces and fortresses and entire cities. He was an incredible builder, but he was also brutal and he was cruel and he was an evil man. He had his wife murdered and then two of his three sons he had murdered. One of his sons is mentioned here in our text in verse 22, Archelaus. But two of his three sons he had murdered. It was uh, Caesar Augustus who said that it was safer to be Herod's pig than to be his son. And during that time that Herod was king, the wise men came to worship Jesus, but Herod wanted to kill Jesus. And so the angel of the Lord spoke to Joseph in a dream and told him to take Mary and Jesus to the area of Egypt. Did you note this? That the scriptures might be fulfilled. 
Now listen, remember several weeks back, I told you that there are 37 passages in the gospel of Matthew, in the whole gospel, that make reference or use the phrase that it might be fulfilled. Whenever you see in the scriptures this phrase that it might be fulfilled, you are talking about the Old Testament scriptures being fulfilled in the New Testament. In Matthew alone, there are 37 references or phrases, usages of that it might be fulfilled. Old Testament scripture being applied in this New Testament context. Now here in this chapter alone, there are four of them. Let's take a look at them. Number one, look at verse six. This Old Testament verse is found in Micah chapter five, verse two. But you, Bethlehem, there in verse 6, you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you, Bethlehem, shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This prophecy simply says Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem. Clear as that. A thousand years before he was born, Micah 5-2 prophesies where he would be born. Bethlehem, the city of birth. It's also a city of death. It was Rachel who gave birth to her last boy, Benjamin, and she died there in Bethlehem. And Jacob carved out a grave for her that is still there today. I've been to Israel twice and I've seen it twice. A grave he carved out. Genesis 35, if you want to reference that story. He carved out a grave for her, and it is still there today. So then Bethlehem, remember I told you it means house of bread. The house of bread becomes a place of birth and death. The first prophecy, Micah 5.2. The second prophecy is found in Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt, I called my son, in verse 15, Hosea 11, 1. In the immediate context, this verse is talking about God who will deliver his son Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. And so Matthew is simply saying, even as Israel as a nation came out of Egypt, so the son of God was called out of Egypt. And it's very interesting in the first century, during Herod's persecution, in Egypt, the Jewish population grew to one million Jews. They were fleeing to Egypt. Now, for you Bible students who enjoy this stuff, Isaiah chapter 19, you look that up and read it in your own time. In the millennial reign of Christ, listen carefully. In the millennial reign of Christ, that word millennia means thousand years. In the thousand year reign of Christ, the Bible says that God is going to give a third of the blessings to Egypt. Isn't that interesting? Why? Because Egypt blessed God's people. 
You'll find that in Isaiah chapter 19. Look that up in your own time. But because Egypt was a blessing to God's people, God says, I'm going to be a blessing to Egypt. And not only is he going to be a blessing to Egypt, but he also says, I'm going to call Egypt my children. Now, that's odd. I mean, think about it. Egypt, this is the same place that persecuted God's people. And God says in that thousand year reign of Christ, after the rapture of the church, after the seven years of tribulation, the Bible teaches, if you were in my revelation study, you understand all that. At the thousand year reign, when Christ comes back to reign on the, over the earth, we're going to reign with him. I hope I reign over Hawaii, but that's, I'm claiming Hawaii as my territory. Don't touch it. But we're going to reign with him. And it's during that thousand years, God is going to bless Egypt. That's pretty amazing to me. Our third prophecy. We find that one in verse 17 and 18 here in Matthew. Matthew is quoting Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15. A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Now, Ramah. Ramah's an interesting place. It was a place of weeping. Ramah, historically, was a place of suffering, a place of sadness, a place of sorrow. Ramah was located five miles north of Bethlehem. In 586 BC, the Babylonians came down and took the nation of Judah into captivity, and they killed all the children, and the women were left weeping for their slain children. Rama was also the place where mass deportations would take place. And Rachel's weeping was symbolic of all the mothers of Israel weeping. And so Matthew, inspired by the Spirit, says this was a pointing to or the ultimate fulfillment in the Christmas story. There is no doubt that Jesus is the promised Messiah and Savior. Hosea chapter 11 verse 1 points to Jesus' flight and return from Egypt. And Jeremiah chapter 32 verse 15 points to the murder of the children in Bethlehem. And so Herod, he issues an order to kill all the children under two. As far south as Bethlehem and as far north as Ramah. The blood is flowing. The mothers are screaming. Parents weeping, babies crying and dying. It's no longer a silent night, but a screaming night as the soldiers are marching through the streets, killing their sons. And mothers mourn because their children are no more. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. I don't think so. But here's the good news. It's in Psalm 126, verse 5. I love this verse. It says, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. And then I love this verse, Psalm 30, verse 5. Weeping, matter of fact, read it, read it with me. Weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. You say to me, Rodney, you don't understand. You don't understand the pain I'm going through. You don't understand the suffering. You don't understand the tears that I shed even last night. I came to church and I was sad, but I came because I 
That's all I knew to do. Rodney, you don't understand. You're right, I don't understand. But let me tell you what I do understand. The Bible says that weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. That's all I do understand. I don't know what your problems are, and, and no, nobody can know them all, but God knows them all. The Bible says that God takes all of our tears, and he bottles up every one of them. That means that he just remembers. He sees, he knows, he remembers. Weeping may endure for a night. But if you just hold on, listen, this is a word for someone here. If you just simply hold on to Jesus, joy will come in the morning. And if you've been a Christian for more than a week, you know that's right. Amen. Joy will come. That's a sermon in itself. We don't have time. Joy will come in the morning. Well, our fourth and final prophecy in verse 23. Look in your Bibles with me. He shall be called a Nazarene. Now, listen, we don't know where this prophecy is found. No one knows. But we do know the Bible is very clear that Jesus was a Nazarene. He was from the city of Nazareth. The, let me add the despised, despicable city of Nazareth. You remember Nathaniel? He said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? That was a, it was a bad city. It was like being from the ghetto. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.